Good, comfortable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Composer Cast. 18! Woo! On this episode, uh, I talked to my good friend Sam Whiting. He is an accomplished musician, a very smart person, and a very nice guy. Um, we go in depth on some things. We talk about writing melodies, we talk about music theory and modes and guitar playing and video games growing up. So this is going to be a long one, I think it's over an hour, but I hope you enjoy it. I think the first thing we should do is uh, introduce you and like say how we know each other and what you do and um, why am I talking to you? How do we know each other? School. Many, many, many eons ago. When you got married, I mm. was under the impression that we knew each other from about the age of 10. My mm. mother said it was more like seven. It would have been, yeah, around there. Well, we were in year three. That was more than 20 years ago. Yep. So that's, that's how we know each other. And what do you do? You are a musician. I, consider my, I like to consider <laughs> myself a consulting guitarist. Oh. So I don't have any admin to do generally. I teach <laughs> and I stand in for other guitarists when they are poorly or otherwise indisposed. That which is good. good. And then everyone, everyone else can deal with setting everything up and they just go, here's a gig for you. Please help. Exactly. So in an ideal world, uh, like I said, I don't have to worry about emails or, as you know, maintaining the likes of you in a band. <sighs> yeah. Um, so I just turn up, play guitar, learn some songs, and then go home. I also teach and stuff a lot, and I work for Jam Track Central, which is always nice. Yeah, are you still doing? Are you still gigging with Emma? Someone asked me this today, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know." Uh, I think so. Yes, she recently did her tour with the trio, um, which I think was just designed to be a much more chilled-out acoustic tour. So there was no room for an electric guitarist, oh. especially not the likes of me. Um, uh, but I think we'll be probably doing more stuff hopefully later this year or next year. I saw her recently and we chatted about it and it all seems fairly positive. So That's good. I think so, yes. Awesome. Right, if we get into video gamey stuff, and now it's going to be... I'm going to try and keep it with video games, but it's going to then turn into music and theory stuff because I have some lovely questions for oh, you. Oh, no. <laughs> but I'm going to try and answer them myself as well. So I haven't... I wrote the questions without thinking about what my answers might be. So I'm going to have to answer things on the spot. But the first thing I was going to do is just ask, um, yeah, what games did you play growing up? Because obviously you play, well, I think you play more video games than I do. I think I play more video games than is recommended by the NHS. I think you play the right amount for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what so did you play growing up? What was... Growing up, mm, my earliest video game memory is probably Sonic the Hedgehog, where my some family lent my family a master system and we played i think sonic one uh, me and my dad playing that um and then we got a mega drive and then that was sonic 2 and sonic 3 and sonic and knuckles um so very much a sega person <laughs> a lot of sonic lots of sonic um and i think i had a bit of a gap weirdly when i was a little bit older than that um i didn't play that much until we got a uh, playstation and then it was stuff like Metal Gear Solid was a huge one. I was not old enough to play that game when I played no, it. I feel it's shaped us to the people we are now, though. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> In one way or another. And especially with music, actually. That yes. was... I remember 
the first time I started paying attention to who wrote the music in film or video game was Harry Gregson Williams, who wrote the music for Metal Gear, who I start and I started seeing his name on films and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And that started to form an interest in he composed this and it sounds a little bit similar to this and I like his work on this. Um, so that yeah. was a really big point as far as music goes. Cool. Well, I think mine, I, I remember there was one game... I think it might we might have had a Commodore or an Atari right at the very start when it was really, really That's tiny. Proper old. Yeah. It was one of those a Commodore or Atari, I can't remember, but it was like it, it was a bit like a personal computer, but you could play some games on it. Um, I think there was a they had a few. There was like a Commodore sixty four or something. Yeah. And there's a proper they almost look like an old Mac. I should know this because I just did a podcast about the Commodore sixty four. So we, I think it's one of them. We can edit it later. Yeah. Um but there was a pirate game. Um it might have been Monkey Island. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing as a child. I just point and click, and I'd point and click there, and then there, and never get anywhere. But I really liked the animations, and they were fun, and the music's really fun as well. Isn't that the game where you don't fight with a sword, you hurl insults at each other, and the winner... Is it Escape from Monkey Island, I think I'm thinking of? Maybe, yeah. Um, I, this is, I haven't played them since. This is all the way back in when I was a kid. So then we got a SNES, and then we had like Donkey Kong and Zelda, of course. Um, again, I don't think I really appreciated the music in those until my adult life. I, at Counterpoint, we definitely did. Uh, we, on we the were, Game Boy is when I started yeah, appreciating it. Definitely. So I missed all the SNES stuff and I didn't play any Nintendo stuff until I got a Game Boy. And then it was massively into Link's Awakening. Which I always was, thought you had an N64. I did, but that actually came a bit later. Ah. Um, actually, no, maybe I'm getting my timeline mixed up. I definitely didn't get an N64 when it came out. I... Time is fluid anyway, I, scientifically. You'll be fine. I have scarred <laughs> over a lot of my childhood, as you know. Um, school it's was not, not saying your childhood was awful. Oh, no, it's I just, just hated <laughs> school and I wanted to play video games all the time. Um, and I remember playing Link's Awakening a lot because you recommended it in a childish sort of way <laughs> in that you showed me one frame of it and I was like, it's a video game, let's yeah. go. Um, and then not long later, we both brought our Game Boys into school even though it wasn't allowed just so we could sit there listening to the menu music for a while. When we were That's, like, I do not remember that. That was a great day for me. Um, <laughs> oh, in Ravenscope, they had that little. You go in the back entrance, and there's like a little sort of plaza, <laughs> little plaza for seven-year-olds. You're making the school sound really posh. Oh, awful school. <laughs> I had a terrible time, but we did get to sit in that little area and listen to the sort of chip tune yeah. stylings. Oh, I've forgotten all about. See, this is why I like having a conversation because then you go, "Remember when we did this?" And I go, "Nope," but it sounds there's lovely. Loads of stuff like this that we used to. <laughs> do where and i remember also just playing that game to death like all the way through the game several times well that was but, a challenging one as a kid as well though because it was a yeah. proper puzzle and you had to really and you didn't have the oh back in the day when you, you didn't have, have the internet stuff. yeah remember the first time i figured out you could steal things from the shop <laughs> yeah and you got but rebranded how did you figure as that out? was it just that must have been a rumor. rupees <laughs> I had to steal it. I was desperate. But you do it. You've got to really run round the shopkeeper properly. Probably. Properly. <laughs> you probably have to do it. Probably proper. have to. Yes. But you've got to run round them really fast and then get out of the shop before he turns yeah, around. Yeah, and he has like a slightly delayed thing where he turns around. And I was like, I've done it. Oh my God, I just stole the spade. This is the <laughs> best day ever. But then you were known as a thief. For and the you go back in game. and he shoots you with a laser beam. Yes. Which is justified, of course. I you stole so. his spade. And then I was like, uh, fair enough. That's actually quite clever. They've obviously made a way of. Uh, punishing you and it takes the item away so well, I, I, guess... think the, I think the punishment is being called a thief for the yeah. entire game you, that was the you worst rescue bit. everyone later in the game and you you meet the wind fish and it's like thief <laughs> thank you <laughs> that was really clever though yeah that was a cool game but you had to play it you had to have light to play it 
because it was on the Game Boy, oh. and Game Boys weren't backlit back then. Yeah, unless oh. you were. I don't know if either of us ever got one of like these. Oh, did you have one? I one had the, the magnifying glass oh. that came over the top with the lights on, but that you would eat through guy. batteries. So you yeah. play it for an hour, and then just before it gets dark, you're like, oh, it's getting a bit dark, I'll put that on. Then when it does get dark in the back of the car, you can't play anymore because you've used up all your batteries. can't believe you were that guy. See, alternatively, I was the guy that had the Game Boy camera. What? But why? I don't know. <laughs> um, I tried to take it on a school trip, going back to my horrible time at school. <laughs> Mrs. Lane told me off for trying to take photos with my Game Boy camera because she legitimately thought I was playing Pokemon. Um, you could have been. I, That's perfectly reasonable. I didn't understand the problem <laughs> when I was that age. I was like, it's clearly a camera. It's like a red eyeball coming out of my Game Boy. It's, <laughs> I'm clearly not playing a game. God. Uh, well, that was the past. What about the, <laughs> the present? Which you seem to be having a lovely time now um, in, in life. What could you elaborate? Oh, well, just your general d- demeanor. It seems you seem quite happy. You're very kind. I think you're smoothing over. <laughs> um, but back to the video game music. I wanted to ask what um, what music like do you like at the moment from video games? Good question. Um, or what have you played recently and you've gone? Oh, that sounds good. Uh, games I've been putting a lot of time into recently. I have started trying to do a second proper big playthrough of The Witcher Three. Um, I think I'm about my fifth try and I give up every time. It's a really weird one because you start it and there's hours worth of content even in the what you'd class as the first bit of the game. Yeah. Um, and I think I, in the past, have gotten a little bit just like, oh, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of stuff I could do. But everything was quite similar because you're in the same area for a long time. What I've tried to do on this one is just travel around the world more, meet all the different people and do all the really different quests. That's been good. But I have like a funny relationship with the music. I think because... When I did my first and maybe second attempts at the playthroughs, I did complete mm. it once, but I think I just tried to blast through it as much as I could. I spent so much time in the same areas in the world that it has the same music, and I kind of felt like I'd heard all the music in the game way too early on. Uh, now, when I'm traveling around a lot more, I've gone to Skellige relatively early, which is a totally different world, like not yeah. different world, but different land. Biome. Biome. Um, <laughs> And it, the music is amazing because it's fresh and it's new. And even I think the combat music and stuff changes along with the environment. So yeah. that's made the game feel really fresh again, which is interesting because obviously that's why we're into video yeah. game music. It is a huge part of the environment. Do you think it would have helped uh, if they wrote more music or made it more varied across the land? Or do you think having like that piece of music for that land solidifies everything? Go, oh, OK, I'm here. I think it would have helped um, just because I think there's very much a set piece of music that happens if you haven't done much in the world for right. 30 to 40 seconds that music always starts and it's sort of oh. i know the one and then when you get into combat i thought i thought the combat music was really good but then you've also got the weird all the vocals and yeah. i think is that where they i can't remember what they call it is that they've got like the beds of music and if you're in combat long enough you start getting it's sort of a bit it's a bit much if you've they, heard it for the hundredth time. Yeah, and they're using it, I found out, so that D&D um, channel program that uh, that I watch on YouTube, they use, they've now been licensed to use The Witcher music and um, yeah. Oblivion and maybe Skyrim, but definitely Oblivion and The Witcher music. So you hear all these things in different setting, but every time The Witcher comes on with that combat music, when they get into combat on the game, he's like, oh. A bit, a bit it's weird. I absolutely. I'm not trying to take away from the fact the game deserves all of its accolades. Yeah. It's incredible, and I I'm really be enjoying it. Positive my about the game. Um, 
But I think perhaps because it's such a big game, you spend yeah. so much time in, in the world that you notice stuff like that. Whereas in other games, if it's a bit more linear, there you'll be exposed to music, probably the same piece of music less often. So Yes, that makes I, sense. I th- it's a really interesting maybe byproduct of the world being huge and the amount of stuff you can do being enormous in any one area that you can spend hours in the same town. Yeah. Never mind the same third of the gigantic three areas in the world. I found it interesting. So when, say, the game's all done, you've done the music, I find it interesting, like, how does the composer, or maybe it's someone else, decide what the, when they want to put out an album? Here's the album of the game. Obviously, in the game, everything's dynamic. Oh, you get into combat, and this happens, but it's playing loads of different stems, and but then we'll go into that one. But then when they come to make an album, like, right, we're going to do this track. That seems like a long, arduous job. I wonder if they have to sort of pretend that oh this is what would happen if it escalated here and yeah, they have or, a, maybe they have like a limit to the, how long the track can be or they have to do yeah. it in that time or maybe they run it like um, the software I've been using Elias or Elias where you click the play button and then you just select different oh, I'm going to level 2 and it will progress to the next sort of yeah. style of that music so it's still dynamic they just decide when they want little bits to change my favourite example of this stuff and I hope this is true Mm-hmm. is um, the trick they used in Red Dead Redemption, where allegedly everything was written in the key of A minor yes. or a particular key. It, I, think I think it's, it's all minor. in A minor. Yeah. Um, so everything you hear music-wise, and even some of the environmental noises like whistling and um, stuff like that, yeah. just seemed to magically blend perfectly. And they had so many different um, layers and ideas coming in on top of each other that it felt like you could escalate from just chilling out by a fire to chasing someone who's stolen your horse in and the space of work. 10 seconds and it works brilliantly because you were just whistling at the fire in a minor <laughs> yeah. then someone nicks your horse and you're trying to shoot him in the back of the head so you've still got a minor. giant sound cohesion I guess yeah and it feels really natural and you and in a and you know of, it's that world like okay I was playing Red Dead Redemption yeah absolutely so it, it really links to the environment in the game and also it's sort of it's good that you don't notice it you have to think about it until you realise I love the music in this game yeah. So it's part of the world. It just complements everything without it being like, this is the music you're in a fight and I'm out of hair. And it's sort of like, this music's a bit insane. Yeah, um, it all flows nicely. So yeah, that's a great example of a similar thing, I think. I'm yeah. very excited for Red Dead 2. I am now that I've got that. a PS4, now oh! that I've joined the ranks. I realised when I told everyone online, though, I was like, I've got a PS4. And then I thought, I'm not going to buy PlayStation Plus or play online with anyone. Oh. But... I don't, I don't know. I barely play online on Steam with you. Yeah, that's the annoying thing about the console is having to pay for it all. Um, yeah. You do get two games a month, but... They um, are good. I've got... But then again, you'll be like me where I've collected so many games on PlayStation Plus that I will never play. And yeah. I've got them because just in case, you know, but I had a free weekend this weekend and I played The Witcher 3 some more and I went back to playing <laughs> the game I've completed 100% in the past, which was Arkham Knight, which I love. Awesome. Um, and that's <laughs> that's like... I could have done something new and exciting, but instead I'm just going to be Batman, because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, I, I got to be Batman in VR. Have you tried that one? I haven't. I've heard mixed reviews. It's, if you paid a lot of money for it, awful. Dreadful. <laughs> if you paid about two or three pounds like I did, I think yeah. it was in a sale and then it was like a Steam key thing. Um, it was really good because you are Batman and you get to see yourself in the mirror and your hands are moving like, oh, this is amazing. And you look down, you've got a tool belt on. Oh, that is kind of the dream. You are definitely Batman, but... As far as gameplay goes, it's not really in the gameplay. It's, it's sort of the detective element more yeah, than anything, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but there's only one really detective bit they have to do, which is pretty cool, but you sort of, 
you scan the area and then you start winding back time yeah. and you can see what's happening. But what's really cool is you can zoom right in and like lean in and be like, oh, that's what they look like close uh, up, you weirdo. And then like <laughs> tickle their nose. That's awesome. But I that's, remember because um, I'm playing Arkham Knight and I'm really enjoying it. I tend to play it through once a year. Before <laughs> that game came out, it was Arkham City because I was just a massive Batman freak. But yep. um, Arkham Knight's really doing it for me. And I was like, I wonder what Rocksteady are up to who made the Arkham games. Amazing studio. I think they're in England. Was there one that they didn't make? Uh, Did they that, make... Oh, they didn't make Origins. Right. Uh, I think that was the Warner Brothers studio, which is why it was shit. Mm. Uh, um, I didn't play that one. Uh, I played I... Arkham Asylum and then Arkham City was the second yeah. one. Yeah. I loved both of those games. I especially liked City because you're a bit more free. The music was great in it as well. I um, can't remember who wrote the music, but there's a real there's a theme in there that I've listened to just for funs. Um Night's really good, and I was remember I remember looking up what they're doing now, and I, there are yeah. rumors that they're doing a Superman game, which is going to be huge. But um, I, I imagine that's quite a hard game to make. Yeah. Because how do you make be a game fun? Superman, where he's got super. Part of the thing about Superman is he's got all these powers, but he doesn't have to use them, and he uses them for good. Whereas right. if you're the player, he'd be like, "But well, I don't care. I'll just kill everyone." Yeah, Look. But he <laughs> could punch the planet and kill everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a weird dynamics to try and sort out so maybe they'd have to be like but someone's injected him with a kryptonite sausage maybe. or maybe they just do what assassin's creed does and if you try and hurt someone it goes he didn't do that <laughs> superman <laughs> doesn't do that That's, silly oh, how could you <laughs> you'll be desynchronized if you punch another civilian <laughs> have you seen um the they're making a superhero vr game uh, was it is it oh the marvel one yeah yeah, that and looks interesting. It's using the same engine as is it Robo Recall that you've got? Oh, that game's so fun. It's using I think it's just built on That's the same unreal, engine, isn't it? I think. I think so, but with all the same physics and everything and being able to grab stuff and You still need to play that game. It's absolutely You but can play it so today when you're expensive. here. Oh, that would be fun. It's really fun. It is too expensive, but it deserves to be played. It's fantastic. Yeah. And that was my first big experience with VR, and I tried a few of the little freebies out with the Oculus. Yeah. Um and I was like, this is brilliant. I'm really enjoying this. I enjoyed the art one where you like you draw in 3D and all this sort of stuff. Um, I think it was Medium I tried first. Yeah. It was like that. Then I turned on Robo Recall and it melted my face. It was incredible. <laughs> hmm. I bought the... Uh, what's the other? The Google Art one. That one's really nice. Oh, I don't think I've tried that. That one's really good. And I spent four hours inside it building... Like, I can't draw or paint or anything. But when you're in there, there's no consequences. You So you draw something and then... Ah, doesn't matter because you just rub that bit out. That looked crap. Um, but I ended up with this giant drawbridge that I made far too big because it took me ages to colour in and I had to walk across the entire thing and pull uh, it towards me. Um, and then it had a river flowing underneath it. And I think I just wanted, because the world's not moving, only certain little parts of the world are moving. So to make it when I wanted to show off this thing, it's difficult to show off a VR thing, but you can use the controller as a handheld camera. Yeah, and that's awesome. Go like through room. the world. Yeah. And so you do that, and then I put music over the top of it, so I wrote a track for that. And then because the water that I'd drawn on doesn't really move, but it got little bits moving inside it, I just found some free river effects and put it in there. And so as you get closer to the water, the water gets louder. So uh, it feels like the world's alive rather than just being I a think painting. I remember you sharing that one Yeah, on the old social meds. But that was a good, that's a fun one if you just want to be creative, but not with music. I was trying to find something to do. I've still, you remember we went on that slight binge with uh, Pavlov VR, Yes, um, which we need to do more binging. Yeah. I've played it a couple of times by myself. I messed about with it a bit, but I haven't played much VR since then. And I have bought a couple of games in a sale. Another gunny one, and then like another gunny one. <laughs> um, so I want to try out all these. They're uh, kind oh. of made for the guns a yeah. lot of the time. Um, 
I was really enjoying Project Cars, which surprised me because I don't really play racing games at all. But mm. actually playing it in VR, even if you're a terrible driver in, in VR, mm-hmm. like I am in, in a fast car, uh, it's hilarious because you feel like you're in a car. It's amazing. And you can look around and see yeah. everything around you. So but you haven't got to push all these buttons to look behind you and stuff. You literally just look in the mirror and you can see a car behind you or look weird. out of your window and there's a guy giving you the middle finger next to you. I didn't, not, buy, <laughs> I didn't buy one of them because... Uh, like a racing game because I felt like I need a steering wheel if I'm going to do a racing game. I imagine that makes it... I was surprised at how immersed I got with a controller. It just feels Um, weird that your hands in the game would be here, but your hands, I'm saying here as if anyone can see me, where your hands would be if you're driving, but you're like holding a controller right up to your body and... That would yeah. be a bit disorientating, maybe. I try, like, it caught myself several times sitting with the controller held where the steering wheel is, oh, okay. which I don't normally do. But then trying to turn yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I imagine it'd be really cool with a uh, steering wheel. I've got, um, that reminds me of Elite Dangerous, where I've got, um, if you look up there, mm-hmm. the embarrassingly nerdy joystick and thruster. That is a cool thing. joystick and thruster. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, which is buttons. great, but... It's really disorientating because obviously you've got to have that on my desk and then you'll be playing Elite Dangerous and your character's hands will be in slightly different places. I know. I wish they made a proper VR version where you interacted with the bits in the ship and you pressed that button and then you did this. I'm sure they could simplify. But that's another one of those games where they built it from the original into VR rather than being made for VR. And I think it's never, ever going to be quite as good. That one made me feel sick, though. That was because when I turned off the um, stabilization and just spinning through space and it was horrible. I remember you telling me about that and we argued that, but that's exactly how you would feel because you're in yeah. space. Which is, yeah, I can understand why astronauts get training. <laughs> that would be, yeah, throw on throwing up on the space station wouldn't be the best. <sighs> right. I thought the next bit is going to be more about music, like more guitar theory stuff. And this, I don't know if this will be... You don't have to answer the question um, if you can't think of an answer because I'm not sure I can. But I was going to ask you, how do you approach writing melody? Whether it's on guitar or whether it's on... How would you write a melody? Would you like improvise and then be like, oh, that sounds good and work on that bit? Or would you go, I'm going to write this melody and do uh, that? Uh, both. Uh, well, right. I, I <laughs> uh, have sort of been asked this before... And I don't think people believe me when I say that low, my personal approach, like 80% of it is trial and error, where yeah. you'll be improvising with a general idea in mind. If I did it step by step, what I generally do is try to be aware of what chord or harmony I'm playing over at the time. Imagine what the good, you know, inverted commas, notes would be yeah. over that. Start with that and try and come up with a phrase singing it first so I'm not guided by guitar technique muscle memory and then try and play that melody and see if it works then when the Mm. chord or the harmony changes you have to sort of do it again for the next bit and hope that you can end up with a cohesive product but i am guilty of relying on chord tones and things too much which can make things sound very safe yeah it makes them sound sickly is the way i describe it because everything's too much everything's proper yes it's pleasant there's another one ah um (laughs) and i often have conversations with students about this who wonder about finding the good notes Um, and a lot of time that would be things like chord tones Um, but if you only do that you just sound very very pleasant like you said it's it's very safe Um, so then it's about adding that into someone's if you imagine a really good blues player who's got loads of feel and really good tone and is amazing at playing and maybe even writing stuff but then they decide they want to get better at finding chord tones what a lot of people do is they then just switch and they get good at that instead and I think what good musicians tend to do or when you look at really advanced musicians they just do both 
and they sort of fade ideas in and out. So one minute they'll be doing loads of chord tones and it'll be an interesting run because you haven't heard chord tones for maybe a few seconds. Yeah. And then they'll land on, usually on a chord tone because it will sound satisfying without it being, like you said, too sort of yeah. proper all the way through. And then they'll move into something else completely different. Here's a load of notes for you. Dra- yeah. I'm thinking a lot of music, <laughs> it's all about tension and release. Yeah. So usually some great choices for notes are the most horrendously bad sounding ones as long as you capitalize on that tension and then you release it which i usually choose chord tones for yeah so if i'm teaching my students that kind of stuff i tend to teach them i start off with the chord tones and something really simple like if you're playing a c major chord and these are the chord tones and this is what each one sounds like and then as the sort of lessons progress i think of it as they're the ones that will always sound good using too much it sounds sickly like we said but then we do it sort of note by note, like, okay, well, if you add a second onto it, then a second sounds like this. Or if you add a, a major sixth onto it, then it sounds really sweet and nice and happy and that kind of stuff. So then I start teaching them the what each interval sounds like and what flavor it is. So then no matter what chord they're playing over, it goes to another chord. They're like, oh, well, I'm playing a fifth, so it sounds nice and powerful. And if I play a fifth over this chord, it will still sound nice and powerful. And then get them to try and link all that up. But I think we have very different approaches when it comes to music sometimes perhaps it's because i've i've focused so much over the years on improvising and trying to be you know good at um making stuff up on the spot yeah when it comes to playing over changes and things like that and i find that fascinating whereas you've obviously gone down a bit more of a composer's route yeah i drifted down a different route where i wouldn't have to be held accountable for (laughs) my on the spot decisions um (laughs) like like now like a podcast i'm sort of accountable because we're doing it and you'll hear me say something stupid but everyone Edit listening out. out there, gone. No, <laughs> I might have said the most idiotic thing 10 minutes cut, ago and cut, nobody cut would know. Um, I think you should just leave it in. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've definitely gone down very different routes and I find it's I find it somewhat debilitating at times because it's such a ridiculously vast subject yeah. because you have to also account for the fact... I'm always surprised when teaching people. It's like, oh, you kind of want to avoid this note. Like, let's say we're playing you wouldn't want to play the fourth over a major chord because it's not a chord tone and it tends to sound quite tense and unpleasant because it's so close to the major oh, third. I find fourths, if you're playing it over sort of like the home chord, I find a fourth always sounds like a question. Like, are you going to... Yeah, but that's what it is. If you leave that, imagine... But it's a nice... I don't find it... I wouldn't it's... describe it as tension for me. It's like a... Yeah, and... Perhaps but... unresolved is a better yes. phrase. Um but like, per- but then it's examples. completely personal preference as well yeah. with that because everyone's note sounds different. They're like, well, apart from the major and minor, you know, one sounds happy, one sounds sad. Unless you're my mum and you can't hear that at all. They both <laughs> just sound like notes. Then apart from I, those I two, can't believe that. I think that's, it's just unlocking. It's like when you were telling me about oh, your out-of-body experience know. and I just poo-pooed the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> the out-of-body experience was a, a, a fun thing. We'll come back to that, I think. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I think it might be legitimate because I watched, uh, not the experience, even though I think that was legitimate. I think um, my mum's <laughs> my mum's hearing thing. So she's always had bad hearing. And then I watched a TED talk the other day about people who get, um, is it, what? how do you say it, cochlear implants? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they get those and music sounds awful to them after that. Oh, really? Yeah. And they can't tell the difference between a major and a minor chord. Is because that something to do with how it's going straight? I don't know how it works. I remember seeing a few people who've had the operation and they've 
I think it's they can't get as many. So if you look at it on a graph, um, so you've got the X and Y bit going across. If you look at it on a graph, speech takes up a certain amount of room. And that's what the implant is measured. It's trying to find that stuff to make speech ah, as clear okay. as possible. But music takes up a whole load more room. So it's loads more um, hertz above and a little bit below speech. So there's way more information and the implants aren't made for that. And I'm thinking my mum's ears weren't made for that. That was, a, that was an inclusion the game too. <laughs> I remember to. having loads of conversations like this with you in the past about how when we were talking about guitar stuff and I was into all like shred and trying to play I tried really to fast. be into shred until I started getting RSI down my arm. Well, exactly. That's, and you, I remember you telling me once like, no, I've just come to the decision that I'm not supposed <laughs> to do this, which is a perfectly fine thing to come up with. But then I was like, oh, I, you know, I can accept that. And I think you always liked the more melodic um, and for a while you were into much more jazzy stuff. Well, I like um, the guitarist. I can't remember his name now. Damn. The, um, the guitarist from Nora Jones. He was one, a big one for me. Um, I can't remember who he's either. No, he's just he's clearly really, amazing. Really unassuming, sort of little boarding guy, but just plays melodies perfectly over the whole thing and always yeah. hits the right little bit. And he's never, even when he's playing a solo, like it's just him. It's very here's a melody. There you go. Deal with that. That'll he strikes right. me as someone that's gone through all the kind of ego stuff yeah. and has come out the other end and has realised that he just. <laughs> likes what he likes and wants to play. But if for you're him. writing for Nora Jones, then you're not gonna be. Yeah, like, you're, there's it's a reason be Steve Vai hasn't got that gig. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> um, probably a few reasons. Mm. To go well, back to the point, because um, this, this is exactly the thing. Like, it ends up right. being this huge subject, and I find it really fascinating. Um, your your point about the fourths, I yeah. personally find them really unpleasant, and That's I also so find major thirds horrible. If I just it, play major thirds, like yeah. just the two intervals by themselves, I find them really clashy. Well, that gets even more interesting because a major third in, if I play a really, say you're on a piano and I play a really low, like a C, and then much higher up, I play a really high E. Sounds lovely. But if they're sort of closer together, yeah. then I do get that dissonance thing. But isn't that because the tuning isn't mathematically like even across the entire thing? So when you get a piano tuner, they have to tune it very strangely. Yeah, so a C down there well. isn't quite in tune with a C up there. Yeah. Otherwise, when you play the two Cs against each other or play them in a big chord, yeah. it sounds really out of context. But you're right about the third. So, And have you done that thing on guitar where you play like the two strings and then you just you just tune the string to make it or you bend the string to make it sound how you, yeah, how you, think, how it you think it should sound? <laughs> but if yeah. that one is right, then all the other notes are wrong. That's where it sort of falls yeah, down. And I think that's... That's so weird. Why I, not just build it slightly differently? I've heard some people with perfect pitch who've complained about notes being too correct or not correct enough because <laughs> they know what a note should sound like before that's they hear a weird it. thing having like knowing what a note would sound like or should sound like because what happens when like that's in western culture what happens when you get all the mini intervals in different yeah. cultures um, how do they deal with that do I you listen no to it and idea. go this is the worst and no! that fascinates me because like perfect pitch has always been presented to me as like yes i know one a b B flat, C sharp sounds like, but yeah, like what about microtones, yeah. which is a huge part of like other cultures. They must music. be able to hear them better, but would they would they be know what it is? Like, be able to identify them? Have you ever seen those guitars? Well, we only identify them from being told, "Oh, that is an A." So yeah. then you just link that sound with oh, that maybe, name, yeah. I guess. Um, but I remember having a conversation with someone who has perfect pitch, who I studied with, and we were had something on in the background. I think it was by the Rolling Stones, and you could tell he was getting visibly <laughs> agitated because they it's, it's a great, you know, I'm not saying it, they did badly when they recorded it, but it's not in tune. It's yeah. not at concert pitch because they just used to tune to each other's guitars or the yeah. nearest piano or whatever. So song sounds amazing to everyone <laughs> unless you know that it's like 15 cents out of a concert oh, pitch. That would really 
bug some people. I get really annoyed just by stupid little sounds, or when, or that time when I tried telling you my headphones were broken, and you were like, no, rubbish. And <laughs> when I could, was this? It's when I had my Beats headphones, those red ones, Ugh. and I was telling you, I was like, no, this one doesn't sound quite right, and you tried them, and George tried them, no, it's fine. And then about two days later, it broke, but there was this little annoying, like, it wasn't picking up one bit of frequency. Mm. But then I'm sure you get funny about sounds as well when one thing isn't quite right or... I get funny about everything. That's true, yes. Um, especially <laughs> when it comes to this stuff. I want to build a world for myself where I can sit down, play guitar and record something, which is why I've got all this gear, which is all plugged into the computer. So I ideally come in, turn on the lights, which as I showed you earlier, you can turn them up and down and it's quite good for recording video easily. We should mention we're recording this podcast at your house. Oh, Yes because my... Well, i got lots of traffic going past my house at the moment. But I will be moving in a month oh. and have the whole separate room for music and podcasting and filming and all that stuff and lovely double glazing and on a much quieter road. So I'm away from the main lovely. road now. And then we can all hang out at your house. And it's got a garden, so we can hang out. Way. We can have barbecues. We can hang out in the shed, which you own half of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the perfect pitch thing, that's what I was going to come back to quickly. It Did you know it came... From, so people who have perfect pitch, it's the same way... Um, the same mechanism that babies recognize their mother's voice. Yeah. It's that, and most of us lose that because you grow up and you don't need it anymore. But you know, if you're walking through a shop and you hear your mother cough or sneeze, you're like, that's my mum, yeah. all the way down there somewhere, <laughs> mommy, and you go running after her. Um, as, yes, you're, you. <laughs> as you're 29 years old, mother, where have you gone? Have, <laughs> you, got, have you got my jelly beans? <laughs> um, but it's that that's left over, apparently. And that's it's just those people never lost that ability in their head. And then I wonder how... So I've also heard that people who... Um, I think it's Mandarin, the language, and what's like Eastern languages use pitch in the language. So oh. they, they are trained from a young age when they're learning to talk to recognize pitch. So a lot of people with perfect pitch speak that language or these languages. That's interesting. Um, and also people who can't see. So Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, who have oh, yeah. incredible ears, incredible mm. ears. They have almost compensated for their sight by developing not just perfect pitch, but... Just ridiculous hearing for music. Yeah. I wrote down a vague question about modes, but I don't really know. Oh, let's talk about modes. I don't really know what I was going to ask. Love me some modes. We can talk about modes, but I don't, I don't have a specific question. I was like, modes will be a topic. What, what should we talk about modes? I've been I used at, them. But okay, this is the thing. So just like when we were talking about um, interval choices and things like that yes. and chord tones, I think modes are like a slightly bigger, more... They're like a higher level. Kind of. But I think they're also taught really badly all the time. Yes, that is my um, problem with it. And that's why people find them so scary and why I think a lot of composers... Like a lot of people, songwriters that I've worked with, for example, yeah. um, use modes all the... Or you can't not use modes, obviously. Like every piece of music you listen to is in a mode. Yeah. But Do you find we, they just use borrowed chords they're like oh well i'll just change that one to a major rather than thinking of, about yes. what mode it's in and then i've had conversations where they feel guilty about that as it's like, oh, i'm not really using modes it's like what are you talking about it sounds amazing <laughs> and it's a perfect opportunity if you were soloing over that you'd have to be oh wow i've really got to think on my feet and yeah. deal with this and i think that's a perfect <laughs> example of modal stuff because the without way... having to think about well it's in this mode so it must sound like this sort yeah, of thing and i think i don't know if you're the same but certainly when we were taught this stuff and when we were looking it up together or certainly when i looked it up it's all about what key stuff should be in. So you're playing a D major chord, but it belongs to the key of A. So, ah, oh, that's Lydian because it's the fourth chord in A. And it's a really yeah. confusing way of thinking about it because you've always got to think about two things at once at least. Yes, rather than just... So the way I combated that was, again, chord tones. It's like, okay, well, if I'm going here, 
I can play, I know the chord tones will sound fine, and then these other notes give me the flavour. So rather than thinking I'm in this mode over that chord, I'll go, well, even if I suddenly go out of the complete key, I'll be like, oh, well, I want a minor third there, but then I want to go to a flattened fifth just because I know it gets that particular yeah. sound on that and bit. And if you were to play like a fifth, in that given situation, it would probably, well, sound, would probably sound nice, but that was a bad oh, example that, of my like, part. Let's but. say hypothetically you're in Locrian then, right. and there's a flat five in the Locrian mode. Yes. Um, if you played a fifth, it would sound bad, but yeah. you don't actually have to play a flat five either. You could just play like roots and flat threes. So it's all about... It's, it's, choices. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> that's the problem again, I think. But that opens up way more choices, which I think gets difficult. But back to how we were taught it or how I was taught it, I don't think that helped at all. On guitar, I was no, taught. I think it actually hindered me. Yeah, personally. I was taught. Here's like here's the um, E minor scale or G major scale. Uh, but then if you start from the F sharp, then you got this. If you start from the G, then it's the major. I was like, well, okay. But Have if you, you start from the A, then you got Dorian. Did you notice? And certainly this was true of me. And it took Tom Quayle, the wonderful mm -hmm. Tom Quayle, um, telling me about this for me to really notice it in my own playing, which is when you learn stuff in that way, especially on guitar where you have a fretboard and you see the notes you're playing. Yes. You can't, you don't have to have them in your head. You can play the E minor scale or E Aeolian mode. Then you yes. go to F sharp Locrian and then G Ionian. You're just <laughs> playing E minor yeah. over and over again from a different note. Your ear usually, certainly my ear, would just go, I'm, I'm providing any listener with the same sound, the same vibe. Yeah. Because I'm just rearranging the same notes slightly. Well, I think but if you want it to be a different vibe, then I think... So say you want to write something in Dorian, which generally sounds very Celtic to me. And sort oh, of, really? Yeah, it sounds Celtic-y, and, or you can make it sound piratey. I think. You're weird. Do, what do you think Dorian sounds like? Dorian reminds me of like... It's that major six. So you've got a minor third, but you've got the major six, and you go, ah, da, 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 and it's all nice and happy, mm. but slightly sad I'd at the same time. I'd say the major scale is quite piratey. Well, probably, But yes. then again, they're the same thing. If we're in the same key, that's... I, but they're not is, no they're not the same thing they might be the same thing if i'm in a dorian and you're in g major then it's yeah they share the same notes yeah um and again this is like that there's ridiculous multiple choice not just in terms of what you choose as a musician but what you not that you necessarily choose this but there's huge variation in what people hear when they're provided with the same information so when i play the note of a and then uh, the note of f sharp yeah. which is the major six um if I was playing that over an A minor chord, that to me would remind me of like Pink Floyd. Like Dave Gilmore does all the kind oh, of okay. cool, slightly bluesy, or maybe even a slightly country vibe to it. Like yeah. Brad Paisley playing a lot of sixths and stuff like that. It's always reminded me of a slightly smooth blues kind yeah. of sound. Yeah, which I never got that at all. But uh, that might be because I'm so influenced by guitar players who oh. use that all the time there. Whereas if I yeah. heard that same noise on well, so saxophone if you grew up or with piano, lots of folk. Uh, music like I did and going to all the music festivals <laughs> I think a lot of that was a lot of it was in like an open D strumming chord and then they put the melody on top of that so yeah. they've always got this D droning and they make it sound celtic because that's kind of what they know for me celtic stuff is very much Mixolydian really? And even going into like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> like <laughs> what? Um, but even going in outside of the major scale modes like right. celtic stuff uses a lot of weird like Phrygian dominant sometimes, like all this weird stuff. Oh, so once, yeah, once I get past the normal, like the standard modes, then I'm lost. If you if it's like the Phrygian dominant, then I go, well, I'm just that's too complicated, and then I just play some notes. So again, on the recommendation of Tom Quayle, I started looking since about October into much more into like the melodic minor scale and all the modes for that, which is yeah interesting now in in this context because we're sort of taught to use the major scale mode. It's like, right, you're playing over the second chord in this major key. Use yeah. this mode. 
but really all you're doing is playing the major scale from the second note. So actual modal playing, I think, kind of like you said, yeah. should start by knowing the chord tones and then treat each chord as a potential bed for, oh, I could throw in a sharp four over this chord to get yeah. Lydian. But then it depends on the music of how fast do the chords change and exactly. what chord is it going to. You, There's just too many variables. And when I think about it, I go, uh, nope. And that's when I freeze. Which is why well, guitarists are then told, don't worry, go away and learn this scale all over the fretboard and you'll magically be good at guitar for some reason, which isn't true. You'll just yeah, be good at being, playing scales. Yeah, I was going to say, being good at guitar and music is different from being good at scales. One of the best pieces of advice I, I think I've heard, which of course is on YouTube, um, I think it was from Guthrie Govan, may, Long May He Reign, mm. um, who said, try to focus on being a good musician, not a good guitarist. Because if you're a good musician you're a good guitarist but if you're a good guitarist you're not necessarily a good musician yeah it's about using the tools you have in a creative way um, i had a fascinating chat as well with a 10 year old student who's bonkers <laughs> and he's brilliant to teach because kids are just unafraid of all this stuff they just either don't care or they're interested in it but they want to bend it to their will rather than sort of be yeah. told what to do and the ego hasn't come in yet and the exactly. fear of people judging them hasn't quite got there yet he was writing a song because he was upset at the price of the slushies at frimley park <laughs> lodge have frimley lodge park sorry has yeah. gone up a little bit by like 20p and he was Ooh. outraged um and that was brilliant and we just, we weren't talking about modes per se yeah but it's just this idea of being able to approach the guitar in a certain almost innocent way he asked oh i don't know if i can write a song i'm not a good enough guitarist and we ended up having a really interesting discussion, me and this like 10-year-old, about, well, what do you consider to be a good guitarist? What do you consider to be a good musician? And he was some, he said, someone that makes people happy with the stuff they play. He was like, well, that's amazing, because like, your mum yeah. sat right there and she's literally laughing <laughs> her ass off, because this is amazing. Um, and I think that was a really sweet way of thinking about it. It's like, if you provide someone with a bit of information with your you know, music that makes them feel something, could be Especially one if the intent behind that is, I want you to have this emotion, and then they get that emotion. I think yeah, then you, you've accomplished then it. You're basically Darren Brown, but with a guitar or whatever. Yeah, but even um, with that, could be one instrument. It could be, it could be one note. Yeah, and that's oh, that's that exactly sure. it. And I think that in light of that, learning all the modes and stuff sort of yeah. just falls by the wayside. And I think it's good if you learn that stuff by accident. Yes, but I'm very. Mm, no, I've got the two sides always conflicting. I'm very much like, ah, oh, just play some notes, but I'm also, I really like the logic behind everything. And I know, ah, well, if this was a major chord instead of a minor chord, now I'm in my Dorian mode and now I get this sound. Oh, and, and then I could change it to this key. And I feel that's useful because it lets me one, hear stuff really quickly. So I can, if something's playing, then I can get it on the guitar straight away and go, okay, cool. I know where they are. I know what they're doing. But... I feel it hinders me sometimes because if I'm trying to write something, then I get stuck following the rules and I go too far down following the rules where I just want to go, well, no, I want to make this just some music. Ah, oh, there we go. And then I get back into it. So I'm always fighting with the two sides, I think. I think my problem, which is similar, is I'm a collector. So <laughs> I will collect, I'll try and collect information. So when I found out about the altered mode, which is the seventh mode of the melodic minor, right. I tried to learn that and I tried to use it all the time even though it sounded awful <laughs> because I didn't know how to use it properly. Right. But I've been told by people on the internet who assured me I was terrible at guitar if I didn't do this. <laughs> um, 
that it's great. You should definitely consider using it. But in that context, that's a totally different way of thinking about modes where you need a certain harmonic background for this stuff to work, at yeah. least to work in a, the most popular way. It's usually weaponized. Um, <laughs> I think one of the problems with the way we were talking about before that modes are always taught and the, why there's such a hindrance to some people yeah. and they feel like just wading through sludge is that, um, and this is, I'm seeing this from Tom Quayle, he referred to them as them being taught in a relative way. So everything's related to your parent yes. key. Yes, and they always, they always said at college, like, what is the relative minor of this one? What is the relative major yeah. of this one? Which is useful information. There's like no such thing as too much information. But once you start having to think, right, the chord has changed to D major in the key of A, so I could just carry on playing my A major scale, or I could do some cool bluesy licks in F sharp minor pentatonic, bearing in mind that's the relative yeah. minor, or it's over a D, so I could use D Lydian. Most or of the you notes could you choose. D Mixolydian and then. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, most of the notes you choose, especially when you go for the modal choice, like, oh, it's uh, the four chord, I'm going to use Lydian, just yeah. sound terrible because Maybe. there's no sharp 11 in the chord. But it also depends where is the chord going. And that also did the person who's doing maybe the backing track or whatever, or whoever else is playing in the band, did they slip in a major seventh on that one? Because if they did, then you've pretty much got to stay in the key of A if you're playing. Yeah, and then the you're, yeah, you're not being provided with any... Yeah. Other like your example with Mixolydian, you could throw in hilarious. maybe a, you could throw in a minor sixth, but that would sound awful. You're a lunatic. So you're sort of you're sort of stuck. Why there. would? Well, I mean, again, this is. I was about to like accusingly ask you, why would <laughs> you throw in a major sixth? Minor sixth. Minor sixth. Oh god, that's even worse. Yeah. Um. So that to me, and again, this is my problem with being a collector, <laughs> is I've got a set of guidelines that tell me. Over the four chord in A major, I can carry on playing in A major if I'm doing a run of some kind. And this is very much a guitarist point of right. view. This is not compositional at all. And this is improv as well. What will go through my mind is if I'm in the middle of something, I could carry on that something in A major, yep. which contains all the same notes as D Lydian. Yep. I could do some bluesy licks in my nice, comfortable F sharp minor pentatonic and maybe try and land on a chord tone for D. Right. What I have recently tried to stop doing is this awkward halfway point where I'll go, well, this is D Lydian. It's the four in the key that I'm in. So I can run through a D Lydian. It will sound good. That doesn't work because if I'm playing over a normal D major chord, yeah. my sharp 11, which normally sounds quite cool over a Lydian context, yep. isn't really supported. It will sound a little bit weird. Well... Now, it won't be a wrong note because it's in the key but it won't be very satisfying to land on because it's not a chord tone at the moment. Yeah. If someone played the four chord in A and they played a D major seven sharp 11, then Lydian your face off. <laughs> so it's all about, and this is why this has already gone on quite a lot because it's ridiculously deep. No, but I was trying to, I was, while all you're talking there, I'm just thinking, which one's a sharp 11? Is that, the, that's the same as a sharp... Sharp four, that one. Yeah. Which is also the same as a flat five. Yes. But it implies that there's a natural five yes. in there as well. Um, and like all these choices, I think if you're doing this too consciously, it's always going to sound fairly bad. But a sharp four would, you'd still be in the key of A major. That would just be the yes. seventh in A major. Exactly. Which is the problem. <laughs> so why not just carry on playing in A major? Um, I, I would, think yeah. in that context, what would usually sound better is relying on chord tones again and treating all the crazy Lydian extensions, sharp four, major seven, over D, yep. the second, etc., um, as the bonus notes, which will sound good, but might not sound quite as satisfying, or, or perhaps safe is a better word, as, say, D. 
Yeah. Well, this is where I've gone away from the guitar thing and more to the compositional part is I would think in all like 12, um, all 12 intervals, I would think, okay, well, over a chord, over a minor chord, each interval sounds like this. Over a major chord, each interval sounds like this. And then I just sort of go through and play the intervals because I want that specific sound or I want that specific one right there. And then if it sounds a little bit funny, then I'll just adjust it afterwards and go, well, that was kind of the wrong note. I didn't want a minor six. Let's move it to a major. Fine. Mm. But it means... That freaks me out. It becomes... But it's because you don't have to think on the spot and you become yeah. way more flexible because you're just like, well, this is a giant puzzle that you can get lots of pieces and then bung it together. And oh, okay, that bit doesn't sound quite right, so I'll change it. But you're really thinking... This is just from melody writing. You're really thinking about... Uh, about oh, what, so if we're talking about melody writing, as we were ages ago when we brought up the question, before we went <laughs> on to modes... I would, if I'm writing a melody, I would always write the melody first, if I want that to be the main thing, and that could be as weird or as whatever as you want it to be, and going in and out of keys, but with that I'm not thinking about keys or modes or anything at all, and then when it comes to it, then I'll try and put chords underneath it. That's a really clever idea, and I think this is where we massively diverge, because I... And it's been ages since I wrote video game music and really composed anything. You, I th compose you know, guitar stuff for Jam Track Central and yeah. a lot of that is at least partially composed. Um, but I think, and perhaps another weakness of mine is I'm so used to treating uh, the backing track as kind of my... That's the guide. Yeah, exactly. So if it was going a one four five in A, I have this little voice in my head saying, you're only allowed to use these <laughs> chord tones and you're only allowed... To, which is obviously nonsense. That doesn't make any sense. And that's what I'm trying to get rid of. Whereas as a composer... I would actually probably be more similar to you where it'd be like, what do I have in my head? I want this melody to work and I yeah. would just probably do it in a different way to you, but I would keep trying until it sounds how I want it to sound regardless of the yeah. actual end result. If it's like, And yeah, then you have the challenge of trying to put chords to it and you're like, oh, this is a tricky one because you have to, first of all, make sure they're the right chords in terms that will fit with the melody so you can't have anything clashing really. Yeah. And then, but does that chord work to there? And you think, oh, okay, then you change some round and then after you've done all of that, then you've got to think about the actual orchestration. Like, okay, well, if I've got a note down here, do I play the major third right next to it? Oh, no, because then it sounds like we just said it will sound all um, tense and horrible. So you play the major third up there and then you fill it in with a fifth there. So, it, yeah. But I like, I like it because it's a giant puzzle is the way I think I of think, it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, again, going back to Tom Quayle, who I went, I went on a guitar retreat with, um, <laughs> with Tom <laughs> in Spain and he was an amazing teacher and he referred to, it was specifically with guitar and specifically with a fretboard, but it was like, sudoku where you're trying yeah. to solve all these little riddles and puzzles for the satisfaction of um having the noise you want but if one is a bit out and you try and change that one it might affect everything else all yeah. of a sudden and it's this and, and in that case it becomes like jenga <laughs> i suppose where it just like falls <laughs> apart um but there is loads of satisfaction in for me physically doing it on a fretboard and i think the reason like, when i was younger i learned saxophone and it just never really clicked for me, I think because I like patterns. And in the physical realm, <laughs> at least, guitar has a fretboard and it has patterns. Where well, I your could patterns learn are boxes. different because you've tuned your guitar differently. I tune in fourths now <laughs> because I can't have my own thoughts and I copied Tom Quayle. But anyone watching you, I'd imagine if I was watching you play guitar, nothing would make any sense anymore. I'd go, I don't understand how you're making the notes. Nothing um, would be quite... It'd be okay for a bit, and then you get up here and it all goes a bit only funny. Only the top two strings are different, and they're only one fret different to what you would play. Okay. But the idea is that, um, again, going back to chord tones and modes and stuff like that, yeah. um, 
trying to think in terms of interval choices rather than going back to the problems we have with modes rather than thinking i'm playing over a static a major seven i'm yes. going to use a lydian and i get stuck in because we were taught in boxes i never got out of my boxes okay here's yeah. my box that's nice and then i move to another box and okay that's cool that's why they're so just they can be a hindrance because yeah you almost like as a composer now like you just described a really elegant way of writing melodies and music by having what's in your head and finding it on the keyboard or and coming up with a melody and then you make stuff fit the melody Whereas if you are restricted to these boxes, you're not making you're not making music out of these scales. The scales are just sort of telling you what to do. Yeah, and it's um, quite a tight. Here's the box. Do I stay there? Because technically, for me, it's quite tricky to get to the next bit. I got there a bit, and then since I've let guitar go and just so I teach now, and that's how I keep myself up to date. I try and teach them challenging things that i would also find interesting to learn just gonna say one lesson ahead of them <laughs> no i was not at least two lessons ahead <laughs> um but yeah i think that what you described with composing is more what i would like to do as an improviser where i'm not thinking i'm only allowed to do these i'll have a guideline or a set of guidelines yeah but i would like to be a, the, the phrase that guthrie i think uses is have a transparent fretboard so mm -hmm. your mind isn't obsessing over oh, I'm in the second shape of the minor pentatonic. Oh, I can shift here and go to the first shape. That's taking up probably like 40% of my processing power straight away, thinking about where I am on the fretboard. Whereas what I want to think is, right now I'd love to hear a major seven. Oh, nice yeah. one. Cool, I found a major seven. Good one, Sam. Nice major seven. Oh, it's a Lydian sounding chord. I want to find the sharp 11 over the D. Oh, okay, cool. I'm Which is what I try and do on guitar. But because, I'd say probably because I don't practice enough, um, then... I have to play over something really slow to be able to do that. If it's like a normal speed track and you go, oh, da, 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 there's a chord now, it changed to another chord. Yeah. And then, and I'm going, oh, I can play about one note at a time. And that's when chord. the boxes are useful. Because if yes. you have a prescribed box, it allows you to do these things, but it's about then you end up in the situation which I was in and still am very much where you need enough of these boxes to actually serve you in all these situations, which is And horrible. then you have to go between them. Yeah, totally. But I, I think it's... Uh, I don't know whether it's done on purpose, but I think for guitar teachers and for like music colleges, boxes are brilliant, but I don't think they're the right way to teach them. To, I think the first thing I'd start with is like, these are the chord tones. That's yeah. how I do it. But I think, exactly. I think boxes just... are really good to go and be like, look, you can play the blue scale. They're very easy to teach though, aren't they? Which yes. is part of the thing. So you can go, Here's so I wouldn't a piece call of, it a you don't even out. have to, I could have done it this way where i could have taught someone how to read tab which you could probably pick up by yourself these days with youtube and stuff yeah. please don't fire me please come to me for lessons um <laughs> and me now <laughs> no no not this guy <laughs> um as long as you can read tab you can play the a minor blues scale sorry a blues scale or a minor pentatonic or yeah. anything like that um so it's this thing where it's like that doesn't really make you get this whole conversation again about um being a huge musician because it's how you use that information. And I love when I used to check out interviews and um, stuff in guitar magazines with um, like these old blues players who've been doing it for 10,000 years. Yeah. Um, and they, someone with a microphone eagerly runs up to them and he's a guitarist as well. And he just wants to know how he comes <laughs> up with all these cool lines. He's like, how did you come up with all that stuff? Oh, I love that. But like 20 seconds in, in your second solo where you did this, how did you come up with those note choices? And they kind of just say like, I just feel it, man. It's yeah, like, which isn't very helpful not if at you're all. just starting out listening. But it's, if it's true, of course, that yeah. is fascinating in that they've probably just got enough vocabulary that they haven't had to rely so much on 
specific shapes or maybe they have like this is the thing everyone does it totally differently yeah. but going back to your question about the fourth tuning <laughs> the great thing about that is that now i'm trying to do stuff by intervals i'll find root notes yeah. then i'll i will anchor intervals to that root note once i've done that i can go to any of those same root notes across the fretboard so let's say i played a d on the fifth fret of the fifth string yeah there will be a d on the 12th fret of the fourth string as well and the relationships physically on the fretboard between all the intervals i've linked to that d will be in the same place relatively that's nice so if i come up with a lick i mm. really like around that first d i can jump up an octave down an octave maybe not down in that key but jump around quite freely and then and you know that all know. the intervals are going to be in the same pattern as they were over there yes because it's tuned the same it makes some chords a little bit fruity so open chords are an interesting challenge um yeah but is, do you think I don't know the history of guitar tuning, but do you think it was tuned so that nice big open chords could be played easily? I think so, because guitar was not intended to be a solo instrument. It was intended to back up people in bands and be a loud chord playing instrument. It's yeah. only when guitars have become a bit more playable and well, electric, when they and electric amplified yeah. that people started taking solos on them in the first place. Because before that, were, you'd have to have a massive body yeah, and you could huge see, thick strings. Yeah, and those guys that. playing in big bands without a pickup with yeah. like, like an arched up guitar smacking <laughs> the shit out of their guitar to try and get it loud enough until someone put a pickup in it and then it was like, oh my God, this is actually doable now. So they can play softly and turn themselves up. Yeah, and everyone. then you let the amp do the work. Exactly. So I think it was never really in... I'm assuming, I don't know, but I'm guessing it evolved from other stringed instruments like the lute and yeah. things like that. Um, and again, it's just a I might have to try. I might have to try the fourth tuning. It might fit more with <laughs> the way I think as well. I um, remember when I had this conversation with Tom, he strongly recommended that people don't necessarily just dive in. Just, I, dive, just try. Go I on. gave myself the challenge of doing it from October to December last year yeah. because I didn't have much else on which would uh, make me embarrassed if I screwed it up. <laughs> um, and it went pretty well because, again, like I said, I really like patterns and it just yeah. makes the patterns that I already knew appear more. I still get a bit hoodwinked every now and then. Like You'll come across a chord that you knew how to play really well <laughs> in standard tuning and then your brain has to think twice. Yes. You have to think twice, which obviously slows you down. So it's it's actually been very humbling because now I know what my students go through when I'm like, find me six versions of the note D across <laughs> your entire guitar. They must hate me because like the top two strings of my guitar now, I've got muscle memory, which is now wrong. I'll go yes. to the seventh fret on the first string thinking it's a B and I'll be playing a flat nine and it will sound awful. And over that's what I'm so ingrained in my mind of these are where the notes are. To try and change that would be... And that whole thing of mm. like, guitar's not that bad. Look, the sixth string is the same note as the first string. So you now know one third of the strings. You're really good at this. Not. And now it's not. And you're oh. really bad at this. Um, I've really enjoyed it because it has taken <laughs> me back several steps and made me yeah. think... If I went back into standard tuning now... Um, it would take me a long time to get reused to it, but I think it has changed my guitar playing for the better because I'm just more aware of the relationships between notes and the patterns on the fretboard. Oh, yeah. Even if I'm not on the top two strings, I've learned a few cool tricks from it. So I think that's good. I think I'd use it. I might try and challenge myself to use it. If I'm ever doing guitar parts in my composing, then I'll go, okay, I'll do it for that. Because the rest of the time I'll be teaching, so I'm not even going to have to keep on fiddling around with the tuning. But it might be interesting to try in composing and then... I have plenty of time to mess up because nobody's listening to me. I think it's important to mess up. This is one thing that I think, well, yes. speaking about all this horrible stuff where you've got to go and learn all this ridiculous nonsense, uh, the best way of learning is to just make horrible, horrible mistakes. Yes, but you need either someone or a video or something to tell you you're making horrible mistakes or your ears to tell you. I think, yeah, you're, that's what I like about, um, again, going back to like teaching 
youngsters is they just they give it a go which <laughs> like when i i've asked adults to do things in the past and it's like give this a try i find them really self-conscious yeah they're so self-conscious and i don't blame them i am as well yeah. um but it's that whole thing of kids just they haven't been taught to worry yet if that makes any oh, sense that's so depressing like uh give it a couple of years you'll be a mess ah uh, just like being peter pan <laughs> except with a guitar like you just don't care about anything yeah um which is extremely liberating and i think that as, as performers and people that are putting little nuggets of our soul out there mm. and composers and so on it's really healthy to adapt some of that i've done my best here yeah. it goes well that's what this 21 days of video game music challenge did because you have to write a piece every single day yeah you, you got, might have an hour yeah you haven't got enough time to worry about all no, that stuff you go, well i need it says they just said write two to four bars of music but then you're putting it out and then you've got to think well oh, but i could mix that a bit better hmm. but then you've really got to battle the time between is that good enough or is that okay and then you put it out and then it's always the ones you think are crap that people go i love that that's amazing yeah. but i think the key that i found to that is because you've probably kept it quite simple yes because you didn't have time you rushed it and like well this is the best i can do but it's nice and simple you've got the main parts in and then it might just need a bit of embellishment later on but people seem to like the ones that i i'm not too happy with i think that's a really big point as well when it comes to playing music and well it's what you always sort of shouted at me you always go less is more less, less is more <laughs> i still say that to everyone i've got it engraved on the back of my ipad <laughs> oh, <no>. 2 somewhere <laughs> uh, um, i don't think i've got that ipad anymore but it's true though it is and i think one of the reasons for that just because i love thinking about what the listener is experiencing versus what i think they're experiencing yes so i'll be like look i've used the sharp 11 and i'm creatively running through lydian dominant blah, 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 blah. but some people will be hearing that and oh yeah but those people will be really difficult to please <laughs> um but usually if you're playing to people that just want to enjoy music is just noise um yeah they music is weird it's not enjoy nice noise just air vibrating towards your face and you're there's, going mm, i like that bit of air that, have you seen that meme going around of there's a guy sat at a um, table and it's like you insert the comment so in this case it was music is just wiggly air convince me otherwise yes or prove me wrong just anything that says prove me wrong afterwards yeah <laughs> it's a fascinating start to a conversation but this guy who i'm talking about went down to the occupy wall street stuff as like a financial person um and said let's discuss why do you think capitalism is failing? And then basically I'll talk and say my arguments instead of you just sitting here, not doing much useful and just being like, yeah, we're angry. Like let's get some content of why are you angry? What do you actually feel? That's like when you went to that protest yesterday, it, it's actually called a protestival. And you got confused, didn't you? Only on the way home <laughs> <laughs> because, and I feel like the climate's changed a lot now. So if I, if I say on this or even at work, say I would like cannabis to be legalized. Everyone goes, yeah, no one cares anymore, really. Even the police don't care. It's going to the stage where I'm, it's a bit awkward that it's not. Yeah, especially when America are doing it, like, I think so well, then the amount of money we could, like, this is not about video game music at all, but the amount of money we could make from it um, as a nation. So I found out we are 1.8 trillion pounds in debt as a country. I remember you posting that on Facebook. There's not a real number. That's insane. <laughs> One hundred billion dollars. <laughs> but from taxing cannabis, if you sold it like uh, alcohol is, they estimate you could um, they could generate one billion pounds a year in tax just from that. I was reading. I can't remember um, which states it is in America that have legalized it. But Colorado, I think. Um, I don't Washington. Think it, I think it might have been Washington. Um, California has as well. I think crime overall has fallen. <laughs> um, Probably for multiple reasons, but also they think that the police have just got, they can do better stuff now. They don't have to worry about people yep. 
who are going to eat all the chips. Yeah. Like it's not something they need to police massively and they're free to actually take care of other people. That makes sense. And there's been lots of, there's been in the past couple of years, I think it's a something crazy, a 50% reduction in the arrests for people using cannabis in this country. Because people can't be asked to... Because no the police, well, some uh, police forces in certain counties have come out saying, well, we're not going to pursue that anymore. Like, you can grow it if you want. It we're not going to stop so you. so much time. Just because people like that stuff. Yeah. No, oh, crazy people. Those, especially when they then get on a train, they've had a bit of a cookie. That, and... yes, that, well, edibles are a different thing. So <laughs> if people are interested in cannabis and they've only smoked it before, I'd be wary of having an edible because it's very trippy and hallucinatory like i was look everything was really saturated at one point so this is when i was sitting waiting for the train and everything was really i noticed because i'm very aware I'm like oh they're just really bright this is awesome but then the trees started having their own personalities each of them <laughs> so that one looked like um, donkey kong and that one was waving at me and i was like well this is really they're really happy trees it's so i'm so <laughs> glad that you've become who you are and i have stayed who i was when i was seven um <laughs> Because when I talk to you, especially because you are a bit more open about it, obviously, with me, but anyone I talk to who's done any kind of drugs, mm. I worry somewhat because that's the sort of stuff that's been going on in my head since I was little. So like, oh, that tree is there. Oh, and if that tree was yes. a girl, then that one, does it just sort of open the doors a bit more to that? Like, this you is don't a, regulate your own thoughts this as much? Is, um, yeah, and you can really tell, I think, where your thoughts are going. And so you can feel your thought going that way and then you can embrace it and go, oh, okay. But what I did find was even afterwards, so once everything's worn off, like today, now I'm actually awake again. Now everything's worn off. I'm looking, I looked at a picture that I took at the time. I thought, right, I want to see what, I know what it looks like while I'm very off your face a little bit. And I wanted to see <laughs> what do I think of it when I look back on it sober. Looks the same as in like, I look at that and go, oh, I can see the trees doing that thing i can see like oh that tree is definitely donkey kong so i guess it's just your mind is working slightly differently yeah and i think it doesn't just stop i think the effects they open up a little path in your mind you think about stuff differently and that sort of stays with you mm. that's interesting so that was one thing i found today right the very final bit um do you have any tips for someone wanting to become even not a professional musician, but anyone, so they don't play an instrument or anything and they want to go, I want to be a musician. Again, potentially huge subject, but I would say just try. Because a lot, I've met so many people who book lessons on guitar, obviously with me. Yeah. Not you, me. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> later in life. And they always start their email with, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, it, I wish I'd, I wish I did this when I was yeah, younger. Yeah, I wish I did this when I was younger and I'm, yeah. I'm getting on a bit now and I figured I'm retired and, you know, what the hell, give it a go. And then they end up falling in love with it massively and they always... Imagine if think, that was their entire life though. Imagine yeah, if they started it, earlier. It's the people... I know that there's loads of factors. So the fact that maybe they're retired and they have free time really helps them fall in love with the whole idea because it's a project. Yeah. Um, but it really, really, you can see them loving it. And when, you know, we're barely stringing together two chords yet. It's exactly the same that I was like when I was in a teenager and I first started playing guitar. I hated school. I was terrible at school. I didn't have my thing yet that I was good at. And everyone always tells you, oh, everyone's got their thing. And I was like, that's nonsense. I suck at stuff. Which is why I played so many video games. I sort of, I think that is nonsense. You might be good at something. You might be crap at most things. But I think you have to try everything. And this is when you're always saying to me, oh, why are you blended? Lots of people say this to me. <laughs> Rachel makes so, fun of me for it. But so why are you? Why, why are you so faddy? Why are you flip flopping between everything? 
but it's because I want to try every single thing and see what it's like. And I think then, it's because you give up at the first sign of hardship. See, you know, because <laughs> that's the wrong. No, that does, it's not that at all. Is it that you hit a bump in the road and then you decide that, oh no, I've just got bumps now? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I try something and then I have to figure out whether I've got the time to do it. But then... No, that, that should not be on your thing. If you enjoy something, you said this yourself. If I enjoy something, then I'd make time for it. But it's try. Well, there's lots of things with the money and everything and the time. But if you really enjoy that thing, then I'd go, okay, 100% into that. And then everything else can kind of fall at the side. Yeah. But I can't remember what my book was. There was a book. <laughs> there was something. But I think, I think you have to try loads and loads of different things. And whether that's lots of different instruments or even I'd listen to loads of different types of music. So yeah, listen to really classical important. and listen to some weird, crazy jazz. And then listen to some pop music that everyone thinks is really uncool. Because yeah. you'll find crazy stuff and you go, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Or that bass drum sounds really good. And then you might go, oh, actually, no, I want to be a drummer. I really like that beat. And you get hooked yeah. on the beats. And I think if you're going back to being a good musician, mm. it's like to be a good speaker, you'd probably have to get used to speaking to lots of different people in lots of different situations, different events and things like that. Learn lots of words, have a good vocabulary. Sort of the same with anything. I think music and music and language are, have lots of similarities is worth trying to play another instrument. Even if you hate the instrument, have a go at it. Yeah. Um, so if you get good at drums while you're also playing guitar, you, it will really help both of those instruments being good at both. Um, the best musicians I know tend to play more than one instrument because they're aware of other noises that might go be going on <laughs> while they're making that instrument's noise. Yeah. Um, it just makes you more aware and sympathetic, I think, of music in general and other musicians. Yeah. Um, generally it's just to give it a go and also the other excuse i've heard a lot when people are saying oh i'm worried that i'm not gonna be good or i didn't do it because of this is that i'll do it later when i've got more time you will never have more time no i think as i'm getting older i have not less time but i have to curate my time better yeah and it's also i think a lot of people link it to money which is fair enough when you're buying gear and stuff depending yeah. on how into something you get um which is like oh when i've got more money i'll have more time and then when i've got more time i'll be more free but then that's a whole life situation when oh, i'm working for the man like i am right now but if i if i work some more then i'll get some more money and save up for this thing and it can go the wrong way oh yeah very, you were supposed to have this job you've had now for several years for two years about that yes <laughs> i've had it for five now i think but you still don't you don't seem fed up with it but i think because you've actually been very i was um telling Danica, my girlfriend about how to manage her time regarding her relatively high not high stress but a lot of work goes on in her new job um and i was using you as an example it's like well try being never use me as an example (laughs) be more like will eat (laughs) loads of edibles and then go to work um no it was in terms of how i was impressed when we went to comic-con and you were telling me about stuff going on at your work and how um you are very clear cut about when you'll stop working because you're essentially booked to work nine to five for example yes so you turn up just about nine o'clock maybe a little bit later (laughs) it's always five minutes late (laughs) well that's fine at least you're consistent yeah um and then you leave at five and when someone says oh you haven't quite finished that thing go on it's like no that's tomorrow that could take another hour but also it's not like we'd lose any clients for not doing that thing like if i do it at five o'clock versus if i do it at nine o'clock next day it's not going to make yeah, any I difference. I suppose that depends on the job and stuff as well. But I think yeah. the general idea is that you don't take your work home with you. No. And I I think I've been lucky in the fact that... So since I've been working there in the past year, definitely I've tried to make everything a lot more streamlined. 
So this is the advice I'd give someone if they're in my position, if they've got a full-time job, but like some stupid office job like me, and they're going, oh, I hate this, this is stupid. <laughs> then what I've done is tried to streamline everything as much as possible at work. Then that gives me the time and the energy to then do all the stuff I want to do at home, but also do all the stuff I want to do at work. As in, I get all my tickets done. I do any so client tickets that come in. I do the work and then I go, cool, I can work on my own stuff now. Obviously the boss might come in, so I have to change the windows, but I can sit there and I can write a blog post or I can like interact with people on Twitter and try and talk to new people or anything to do with trying to further my career. Um, or like I recorded the, the podcast that I had before talking to the guys from Kingdom Come Deliverance. I did that at work. Amazing. I messed up with the times a little bit. So I drove into work and just had to use all the gear at work and just locked the doors and made sure nobody could interrupt me for the next hour. That was awesome. Um, some of my most successful students, um, adult wise, are those that aren't afraid to take their guitar into work, find a secluded room and just mess about for their 45 minute lunch break or something. Yeah. So they'll eat a sandwich, practice a couple of chords and they will come back the next lesson. They've been like, oh, I've not been practicing much. I tried to squeeze some in for the... That you makes know, a massive difference. It makes a huge difference. If you can practice little and often, I actually think that's a lot better than practicing six hours on the weekend. Yes, Because definitely. you'll retain the information loads better. It develops muscle memory much quicker. And I'd recommend... the ones that are worried as well. It's like, oh, I've only been able to do it in the lunch break. And they've actually added up probably a few hours at least yeah. with their 15 Whereas minutes here and there. If you did that in one go, sort of, yeah, you'd be struggling for the first and half yeah, an hour. Yeah, exactly. You always find the stuff that you're not very good at. So you hit that wall and then it's if you sort of tell yourself, oh, I've hit this wall and I've got another hour of practice to do, that's boring. That's really <laughs> difficult. Yes. Um, and that, that's another question regarding how to start and what you should do early on is how do you practice? How do you structure your practice? Um, I've met some people that really structure practice and they have like never books where they write what they're going to practice. That makes me so sad. Mm. I've, if, it's like <laughs> if, you're, if you're playing... And this comes down to de developing your ear and stuff as well, I suppose, and listening to music. But if I notice something in my own playing that sucks, I'll just work on that for a while. Um, I think recording yourself is important as well. Yes, like, just like when I listen back to my voice on this podcast, I will be deeply sad because I know I'm going to uh, hate the sound of my own voice. I've got, it's exactly the same sort of thing. But I think you get used to it quickly enough. So I yeah. can listen to myself now without cringing unless I say something stupid. But I can listen to my voice and go, no, okay, that's what you sound like. That's what everyone else hears you like. It's exactly the same as no when wonder you, um, people talk to you funny. When you play, when you record anything that you do, it's when playing guitar or composing or whatever, especially when other people are there. You're in a different position as well. You're hearing the sound from where everyone else would actually yeah, hear it. Which is makes a surprisingly huge amount of difference. And it's the same on guitar, especially acoustic. You're hearing it here, like at the top, where everyone else is hearing it all come out the sound yeah. hole and nice also, and beautifully. Think, yeah, on acoustic especially, I noticed this, where you feel it as well because you're hitting the strings and you're feeling the vibrations. Yeah. Whereas then when you hear it through some speakers or something, you like, oh, it feels much warmer and more haptic when I'm doing it because you get all that feedback whereas actually you've got to make sure that that exists in your playing yes. through technique not just yeah I hit it really hard <laughs> but also if you're recording yourself or filming it then you can go back and look at that in a month or a year or whatever and go oh that's what I was like back then look at how much I've progressed like yeah. I've got one student who she's sending me um, a recording like a video like every week and the amount she's progressing is huge but she might not feel like it is but then you yeah. go back to the first video and you go well look this is what you were like on the first one and it's just we're playing power chords going nice and slow between the stuff and now she's got power chords changing nice and fast with um palm mute going on the whole thing and knowing what chord she's playing i think that ties in as well to when you first start playing if you're really into something um or writing or anything you can improve 
several hundred percent in a year. Because if it's new and you haven't got any of the skill set, yeah. you'll start accruing these skills ridiculously fast. You'll be like a sponge. Whereas when you get to the level where you're trying to like, I'm trying to work on my pick slanting technique when alternate <laughs> picking on, you know, three note per string runs on guitar. Like you'll see maybe 1% improvement in several months if you're lucky. Because yeah. you're trying to tweak and change things. But then that as you go. is where it's super important to um, to be all cliche is to enjoy the journey. Absolutely, like I think you have to enjoy what you're doing because you'll get to a point where you are only getting one percent better, maybe if you're lucky, yeah. over that period of time. So you, you have will to- still see the difference, and I think hopefully when people get to that stage, they can be quite objective over their own playing. Um, but that goes back to people who have started guitar later than they originally planned or they've picked it up after putting it down years and years before. Yeah. They always seem surprised when they're really enjoying being bad at it. <laughs> that, I think that was my secret. And people ask if there's a secret is that you have to enjoy sucking at what you're doing. Because if you enjoy that, then when you get good at it, A, that will happen by accident. You'll, yeah. The technique and stuff will sneak up on you. And B, you'll love it if you start making stuff that sounds generally good to, even to your own ear. If you've enjoyed, like when I was, I remember... Um, learning it smells like teen spirit on guitar was an yeah. early one for me of course and the guitar solo for that was i think the first guitar solo i ever actually learned i was so bad at it but it was <laughs> awesome i just got on my new electric guitar and i had a terrible little amp which just i should not have used it should not have had a distortion channel that sounded that bad but it was so cool murdering this solo enough times until i started to get it right and when you start to hear the actual solo when you're playing there's it's amazing so you've got to enjoy being shit at like whatever you're trying to get good at because if you have this goal in mind since day one, you're going to notice how much time it takes to get there. Whereas if, and that's well, not and how practice you works. might not get there. Yeah. And that's not how it works like, anyway. It's I have like, a goal to get a million pounds and buy this place, but I might never get a million pounds. And what if you get to the end or whatever it may be, the end of your life or some time period, like I want to, like something simple, like I want to own a house by 35 or I want to be able to play this solo by next week. And then you don't get there and you're like, oh, I I'm a failure. Yeah, this that's stupid. another thing I often say to students, which is who might come to me and say, I want to be really good at lead guitar. So that's insanely vague. And what I'd say, okay, we can do that. But I want you to be more micro ambitious, which is a phrase I picked up from Tim Minchin. Um, <laughs> I like that. So, okay, you want to be really good at lead guitar. So let's look at one tiny element of that. So we'll look at maybe knowing notes on the fretboard or a technique like bending or something. And as long as you can enjoy that one little nugget, that will lead you to other stuff. And also if you've got that slightly arbitrary mega goal way off in the future. Then you know what to do. You have a map to get there or you're drawing a map out as you go along. But you know... I've got a great thing that takes us back to video games. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. You know the game Journey? Yes. On PlayStation? Yep. It's like that game. You can see the mountain in the distance. Right. And you're just heading towards it. But you're having a lovely time floating across the sand. It's even called it. Journey. You've got to enjoy the journey. Oh, I'm oh. so proud of myself. Um, but <laughs> you get distracted. Like you fall down into like a ruin and you have to avoid giant whales coming out of the sand. You can't see the mountain for a while. Yep. Oh my God. It's the perfect metaphor. That is. Um, and it's a video game. And that's kind of the point. Boom. Of the whole thing. So awesome. Everyone go play Journey. Well, I need to play it. And um, did they remaster it for the PS4? I think so. And I think you can play it. I don't know if you can play it as co-op on purpose, but there are other people that can join you. So okay. hit me up if oh, that's okay. possible. I'm not sure it is. Yeah. But, I need but to it's a lovely that. game. Cool. So to finish off the whole thing, I think I like your analogy and I like the um, enjoy sucking at stuff. You've got to enjoy sucking. Hmm. <clears throat> We will leave it there. <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast. We, I think this has been a good chat. I like this long form 
stuff because well, I always listen to Joe Rogan a lot and they are two hour three hour podcasts yeah. but the people actually he has a couple of notes but he has to he has a proper conversation with someone rather than like TV shows or anything or little interviews and stuff it's like here is 15 seconds where you have to explain why you enjoy what you do and okay well now we're going to the next bit and they don't get to say anything whereas this we can go in depth and go on tangents people listening Hopefully they enjoy it as well. Congratulations if you made it this far. I yeah, feel that like is a... we may have gotten rid of a few of them in the modal section. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being uh, a, a guest, maybe. Well, good co-host. Thank you for being a friend. Oh, I was going to suggest that, and then uh, I didn't because uh, it was terrible and cheesy, but likewise. Awesome. Bye.